Welcome to Crate Digging, a podcast about record collections and their collectors. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, the music and creative associate for the soundtrack. On this episode, we have Nick McKinley, drummer for the indie rock band Fast Romantics. You know the band from their hits Why We Fight, Julia, and Do No Wrong. The band just put out their fourth album, The Excellent Pick It Up, last year. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's flip through your collection. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. You know, it's, you know, for fast romantics, you know, for the band to send me here to talk, you know, let the drummer talk. It doesn't happen very often. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to be here, but I, everybody in the band is a bit of a record collector, but I, I think I probably have more records than the whole band combined, uh, at this point, um, which isn't really a humble brag. It's more of like a not humble cry for help maybe or something like that. Uh, yeah. So yeah. a cry for the fact that if you ever have to move, you're going to need a lot of help. Well, that's, a, I mean, we could talk, we can get into that. I have some thoughts on, on the, that thing as well, but uh, on the moving a collection, it's uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you, you, you sort of led into the very first thing I wanted to talk about, which was that I heard a rumor that you were the best person to interview from the band due to the size and breadth of your record collection. Uh, and obviously that's accurate. So I guess the first thing I want to know is how big is it? Uh, you know, um, uh, wow. Nobody's ever asked me like that before. Uh, it's, I, I would say <laughs> it's not like, it's not, it's not huge. I have about, uh, you know, right when the pandemic started, I like counted them all. I sat down and I was like, I've got nothing to do. I bought one of those like spinomatic cleaners. And I was like, I'm going to clean every record I own because there's nothing else to do right now. Um, <laughs> we are locked down. And so uh, I, I managed to count. So I have just over 700 records at this point. Wow. And if you had asked me before I did that count, how many I had, I would have said like 350. Like, I think I was in a, okay. I think I was in slight denial, um, uh, about the situation. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, just, uh, and that's, that includes some 45s and stuff like that as well. So yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. So I guess your options were, uh, make a sourdough starter or clean your records. And you went with option B. It became like a meditative process for me to wake up. It was like going to work. I was like waking up, <laughs> just like sitting there for six hours, drinking coffee, like, you know, rediscovering a lot of records I kind of had forgotten about. And, uh, you know, if you can find the time to do that kind of thing before, you know, before everything opens back up, I would strongly recommend it. It was a, it was a nice way to reconnect, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I I hear you. Yeah. I I sort of feel similarly where like, it's so easy to kind of get into this habit of like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna throw a record on. Uh, what's the first thing I say? Oh yeah, I do like either Beatles or Stone or whatever you're like your all time favorite like album is. Totally. But then you you remember I'm like, hey, I've got like 300 other records. Me personally, I've about 350, yeah. so much less than you. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, I never listened to like 200 of these other records. Maybe let's pick something I haven't put on for a little while. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you can. It's easy to forget. It's like a. It's like um, clothes or t-shirts or something where it's like. Mm-hmm. You just get, you get used to a few and then before you know it, your rotation has like dwindled down and it's like, oh yeah, I gotta like, you gotta dig in your own crate for a second and find something interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of t-shirts, I know people that are listening to this, uh, won't be able to see it, but can you describe the shirt that you're wearing? So I was trying to get in the zone for this, uh, conversation today. So I'm wearing my, uh, Ernest tub, 
uh, Ernest Tubbs record shop uh, t-shirt uh, that I uh, got in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, if anybody's been to Ernest Tubbs, it's a wild uh, shop. It's like uh, it's like half museum, half shop. It's just a, a huge building full and full of records and CDs. Uh, it's a lot of fun to visit. Um, yeah, this is, uh, and then, you know, I also, I find that people who have record collections also have other collections. And for me, uh, t-shirts is another, th- you know, if when you do your t-shirt series, you can bring me back and we could have a whole other conversation about t-shirts, but uh, yeah. <laughs> are, uh, are you talking about like band shirt sort of thing or just like, uh, just general like graphic tees? General kind of vintage tees, like, you know, specific interests, you know, I, f- I find that's like another thing about collecting and this, this extends to record records as well, where it's like, you'll kind of get hung up on certain artists or certain record labels or um, certain genres. And that's, that's kind of the same with uh, uh, t-shirts. I love a record shop t-shirt. I love a band t-shirt. I love like any sort of weird Canadiana t-shirt with like a loon on it or something like that. Those are kind <laughs> of, yeah, those things. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind for, for when we start up that series. Yes, thank you. Uh, but <laughs> I guess getting slightly back on, on topic. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, let, let's sort of uh, start at the beginning. What was uh, the first record you either bought or were given? Like, I'm, I'm very interested to see how you got introduced to this medium. So I remember, like, you know, my dad was a big record collector when he was a kid. And he had kind of gotten rid of all his uh, records and sold them to like his brother and some other people and stuff like that. And, and really the only records that were left in my house when I, went, I was growing up were the nine Led Zeppelin records, you know? Uh, and that was like, my dad is just a diehard Led Zeppelin fan and he held on to all those, you know? Um, so when it, the time came that I was expressing interest in getting a record player, it was mostly because I wanted to listen to those Led Zeppelin records. They, you know, I'm, I was about 13 years old and they had a kind of, you know, you hear, you hear people talk about that kind of thing all the time, but they had, yeah, a mystical quality to me having never been uh, able uh, to interact with it. So I got like for Christmas one year, just like a Crosley, you know, one of those, one of those record record players that you gotta be careful playing your records on quite frankly. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, um, I got this Crosley and I started listening to those Led Zeppelin records. And then sure enough, you know, I, you know, you were just buying, I, I, I started buying things that I saw on TV in the form of a record, basically. Like I remember like dark side of the moon was a very early record that I had in my house. And, um, yeah, I was a diehard Mars Volta fan in high school. So I was buying all these Mars Volta records. I remember, and they were, they were pretty good about putting things out on vinyl for like being a current band at that time. You know, we're, we're going back like, you know, 17, 18 years ago now. So, um, yeah. Uh, but those Led Zeppelin records, those, those, that's kind of, that was what was drawing, drawing me to, to collecting, I think in the first place, you know, being able to like put on Led Zeppelin one on vinyl is a very powerful experience for a a 13 year old kid. I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can only imagine. Would, so would you say that was, uh, your favorite Zeppelin record growing up? Like that was the one you would always gravitate to or, uh, or do you, do you have other favorites in in that group? Uh, I I love all the Led Zeppelin records. I I think they all got their funny quirks and strengths. Um, but yeah, Led Zeppelin one is still my favorite (laughs) Led Zeppelin record. And it's, um, you know, my, my dad has not parted. Uh, I don't own every Led Zeppelin record currently, but I, I do have Led Zeppelin one and I do got physical graffiti. Those are the two ones I listen to probably the most, but 
Nice. Yeah, I, I usually end up gravitating more to either two or four, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have a special place for one as well. The, it's the later stuff where I, I've never really been able to get into it because they got really eclectic towards their end. Yeah, they got, you know, they became one of those bands that were kind of a victim of technology a little bit. And uh, they were they were trying to be ahead of the head of the curve. And in that just in that slight period of time with like synthesizers and stuff like that, where some of that stuff can feel real dated. And kind of kind of mutes mm-hmm. mutes the power. I I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Two is obviously yeah. like I don't know. We could talk about Led Zeppelin all day. I mean, just an incredible band. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So that's that's really interesting that it was it was through your parents uh, or your dad at least that, that got you into it. When uh, when you started collecting your own, what sort of stuff were you buying? Was it more uh, the types of concerts that you were going to as like a teenager or is it still kind of collecting the sort of stuff that you were being influenced by your parents? Well, uh, besides the aforementioned Mars Volta records, uh, I was um, I actually got really into I was a pretty precocious uh, high schooler and I had a brief phase. I would say something that really coincided with like me getting more serious about record collecting was uh, I was like getting really into like Mississippi blues music um, basically by way of Tom Waits. Uh, I, I had a big Tom Waits phase in high school um, for better and for worse. Uh, there are advantages and disadvantages <laughs> to that. I think anybody would argue, but um, and that really opened the window for like, and obviously I was big into like the white stripes and the black keys and things like that. So uh, that all took me to like Robert Johnson and son house. And uh, those those artists, that music was what I really wanted to hear on vinyl uh, for a long time, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, I, I had like a brief acting career, and I would I would come up to Toronto um, and and find a record store to walk to if I was having an audition. Uh, I grew up in Sarnia, so it was like a commute. Um, uh, and, anyways, yeah, that the that early Mississippi blues, anything with an Arhuli label on it i was into um skip james big bill brunzi um you know uh some old harmonica records to ford bailey uh anything i could find that was just like yeah like kind of one of those alan lomax kind of field recording records uh that was a yeah a big big gateway for me into more collecting i think yeah i got i actually have to like almost commend the music industry because so much of that music could so easily have been lost forever. But I think they've done a really good job of reissuing these really classic albums, whether they're on, on compilations or, or just full albums. And I've got a couple myself, whether it's like stuff that chess was putting out or, or different stuff like John Lee hooker, what have you. I think they've actually done a pretty good job of making sure that that music was not sort of uh, lost to the annals of history, where there are the opportunities for people like us to really be able to get into that sort of Mississippi Delta blues. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of those artists too, you'll just find, maybe like one or two greatest hits albums sitting around on streaming services. So it's, it's really nice to, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of people who are into that kind of music are also like into vinyl. Um, And so I think, you know, that's, it's worth like recognizing that uh, a a big part of um, collecting records, I think is trying to, you know, it's, it's like a, you know, it's like its own sort of history you're keeping. It's its own kind of, uh, uh, yeah, I think that it's valuable. These collections are valuable because uh, you'll find um, find things that just haven't made their way to streaming services. And I mean, those 
digital music can feel so accessible. Like everything feels like it's at your fingertips, but it's also being like, you know, I don't think the record industry has changed that much. I think the algorithm is doing its own kind of gatekeeping and, you know, it's trying to craft the story in its own way. And, uh, you know, uh, just like lots of record collectors have and, and things like that. But I think, um, yeah, I, sorry, I'm kind of, tan I'm going, I'm, I can feel myself rambling here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, the record industry doing its own kind of gatekeeping. I think those collections are like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a way to like create a bit of space for certain genres and things that, yeah, would get forgotten otherwise, you know? And, um, there was a lot of money in the record industry when vinyl was being made and people were pressing vinyls of anything basically, uh, you know, for a long time. And it's, it's kind of amazing what you can find. Just like, I, I love going to an antique store and finding some records there because they're mostly for decoration. So like, I found like an incredible Ethiopian jazz record at an antique store one time. And I was like, how much is this? And they were like, I don't know. It's mostly to sit on that shelf, but uh, I don't know if you want it, it's five <laughs> bucks or something like that. And that's, that's kind of what that reminds me of where it's like, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that whole era of like thirties to like early seventies, you get this like phase of, if you're a record collector, being able to like look at the back and be like, all right, who produced this album? Oh, let's check out to see what else they did. Oh, who is the guitarist on this singer's album? Because, you know, these people weren't famous for the most part, especially all these like session musicians. No one knew who any of them were. So it was a lot of like, let's play connect the dots and be like, okay, you play guitar with this band and then you did this and you figure out what their whole like scene was and you learn so much more. Yeah. And a great reissue label is like just as valuable for their liner notes, you know? as it is for actually pressing the thing on the wax and getting the music out there. Like, um, I think, uh, reissue labels do a lot of like great work doing that kind of thing and trying yeah. to like lay the history out, get it together for you. Yeah. So we talked about the, the sort of records that got you into collecting, whether it's, you know, Led Zeppelin or the Delta blues and stuff like that. But now that you've amassed such a big collection and you know, you're, you're an adult, you, you've got your own little stash. What does your collection mostly sort of comprise of these days? I mean, I'm a person who listens to a lot of guitar music in general. So I just have a lot of rock and roll blues, uh, country music. Um, mostly I'm very obsessed with the way things sounded between like 1964 in 1974 like that's when music sounded the best to me just like on a sonic level you know which is great when you're collecting records because there are a lot of records uh from that time um so uh i would say yeah that's that's mostly what we're looking at i also like i, lo I love the toronto local music scene so i have a lot of you know i try to buy a vinyl from every band i like uh in toronto and i have a nice little library of very toronto specific uh artists yeah Nice. Yeah, I love going into to record stores. I know there's a couple where they'll have like a a Toronto section only. You're like, all right, let's flip through there. And yeah. Because like, like you start to get to know the people as well. And you're like, oh, let's see who's putting out music these days or, or what do they have in stock. And it just kind of like feels so much cooler. They're like, oh, man, I know that guy. Good for them. You, you said you're in Vancouver right now, right? I currently yeah, am. Yeah. yeah, I just moved here, but I, I grew up in Toronto. In yeah. Toronto, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I know... Um, in the Vancouver, I know Neptune Records has like a great, great uh, local uh, section there, or at least they did last time I was in there um, in Vancouver. But it's that's always nice when you're in any city and you're like, you know, you're in like Milwaukee or whatever, and they have like the local, you know, the local uh, section. It's always worth uh, popping in there, I think. So what would you say is the artist you have the most in your collection then? 
Uh, I Bob Dylan. I would say I have like yeah. I think I have every Bob Dylan record almost at this point, with the uh, with the exception of like three '80s ones that I I just keep not getting around to picking up because they're the ones you just see everywhere. I'm like, oh, I'll get that eventually. But um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely Bob Dylan. Um, that's someone if you want to talk about eclectic discography. That's uh. That's someone who has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth you know it's it, it's a fun artist to have a lot of because you can kind of pick through a lot of different moods. You know, you could just you could just have a Bob Dylan record collection and it would be enough to get you through a month of different uh, <laughs> moods and and music listening inclinations and you know the kind of accompaniment you want while you're you know sweeping up the floor or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, it is like one of those things where he's one of those artists where, yeah, you kind of get hooked on, you know, the story of his career and like the different phases he had and stuff like that. And I feel like that's a big, uh, you know, that's where the collector impulse comes in a little bit. Uh, Neil Young's like that for me as well. Um, mm. Yeah, absolutely. So when you walk into a record store, do you sort of beeline it to exactly the section you know you want, or do you like to spend time flipping through everything that you can? If I have the time, I like to flip through, like, especially just the alphabetical used section of a record store. Like, you know, I'm pretty, pretty like fast at it these days, you know? So it's like, I can get in and out in about half an hour. (laughs) Um, uh, That's uh, one of the, one of the, one of the things that, I've been missing throughout the lockdown is just like that inability to flip through and kind of take your time with things and like pick up a record and kind of look at it and you see if it's something you're interested in or not. But uh, I have like some pet kind of interests. So like I might go to like, I'm really into like Dion's late sixties, early seventies records. So I'll like go to D and just, just to see right away. Like I, I, I might start at a couple different letters first, but I try to hit them all. Um, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple letters, you know, you're probably not going to find very much there anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's always like, uh, yeah, there's always like a letter or two where you're just like, even like sometimes you're just like, oh, maybe it's, maybe I'm just not like a person who likes bands that start with N or whatever, you know, it's like uh, or bands that start with uh, R or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, but but maybe like I've been proven wrong yeah. in basically every every letter. <laughs> yeah, but you, I think you hit on something of this idea of like, during this pandemic record shopping online, like really other than when Royal mountain records had a sale, I picked up about three or four of their, their records. And I was really happy to kind of pad out some artists that I was missing. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like I, there's, there's like almost no real point. Like I, I want to support the, the local record stores, but unless I'm like specifically like, Oh, this is the album I, I'm, I've been dying to get. I'm going to pick it up right now. It takes all the fun out of it. And I hate that because record shopping is so much fun. I know. Yeah. It's like that, that kind of thrill of the discovery. I think there's a couple different kinds of collecting. And I, I know there are a lot of people who kind of treat their collections like um, an investment, you know, and it's kind of like stocks or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I am not that kind of person. I definitely do not treat my records like an investment. Uh, I listen to them a lot. Uh, and yeah, for me, it's about kind of hunting down things and, and, you know, looking at an album cover and getting into it and being like, do I have, can I spare five bucks on this weird thing and see what it's, what it's about, you know? And, uh, um, you know, that, that's a lot of the fun and like being in a record shop and, you know, just like talking to people uh, about records is like, it, it feels very, you know, for as like lonely as the act of collecting can feel, 
being in a record shop feels very communal, you know? So, so I think you need that to even out all the other things. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you are looking at uh, the used record selection, what are you sort of looking for? Are you looking for a price point? Are you looking for an artist that you, you maybe are already a fan of? Are you looking for like crazy cover art? What sort of things really catch your eye when you're at a, a record store? Um, I definitely uh, enjoy cover art. I, I like uh, finding finding things that have like a poster in them or something like that. It always feels like a bonus, you know, really stretching the dollar with it. Uh, <laughs> I... Um, I, I think like for me, it's like, you know, and that's why like you, old punk rock records are so great for that. You're just like, you're just like, this looks like a artifact, you know, I, I love like a, an artifact quality in a record, you know, feels like it's like stuck in mm -hmm. time or something like that. Or like you, you pick up a, a record and it'll be like uh, happy birthday, John. And you're like, what's the story behind I this? Know, that's so like exciting when you pull out, you know, a record and there's like little, or sometimes you'll find like, um, maybe a DJ owned a record and they'll, they'll have like little markings on the back, like pointing to a track or you'll find it like little pen marks on the, on the actual like label and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I mean, these are the, these things are, you know, it's something that's passed down to people and they have long, long histories, uh, uh, old vinyl, you know, it's like, it's fun to be a part of that. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever found anything interesting inside the, the sleeve, whether it's like uh, rolling papers or something like that? Uh, no, I did find like an old $20 bill once tucked away in a sleeve, Whoa, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, Clearly, the shop did not check the record. out. Yeah, but, it, you know, it was like that old kind of 90s, you know, 80s Canadian $20 bill. You know, they don't they don't make them like yeah. that anymore. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, no, that's like one of those things. Sometimes uh, when you go through the dollar bins. Those are the records that the record shops aren't taking too much of a look at. So you can find some weird stuff in yeah. those ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I was like this record just bought itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I, if I was to find a $20 bill, I'd be like, well, I'm picking something I know, else. I totally. Then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> go, to, go right back. I just the doubled door. my budget. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you comfortable sharing the most you've ever spent on a single record? Uh, yeah, if yeah, know. I could, I could, I could say that I probably, I remember the first time I felt like I spent a lot of money on a record, which was a Bob Dylan record. And I bought highway 61 revisited like a mono 65 copy of it. That was in great condition at a record store called she said, boom here in uh, Toronto. And I remember being like, okay, like I am in it now. I just spent $55. Uh, that's how much it costs. Okay. Um, and then I, I've definitely, I remember like going to a record show in Brooklyn, the WMFU record show. And, uh, I spent a bit of money there, uh, on, uh, some, on some special records, uh, uh, that we could, that I would consider like amongst my very special records that I own. Um, and I would say like, mm. you could argue that a couple of those might've came out to about $70 Canadian. Um, so okay. yeah, I'm not like, I, when I was at that record show, I saw like, I saw a table. Uh, there's this uh, hard psychedelic rock band from England called Leafhound. They have an album, their debut album. It is, it goes for like $9,000 on Discogs. It's in incredible just what? to look at. You just laugh. You just laugh when you see it. And I saw an in-person copy of that record at a guy's booth at this record sh show. Um, 
And it was like, he only had like 10 records and they were all like that <laughs> kind of record, you know? So uh, maybe one day, if I have more money than I know what to do with it, for some reason that happens to me, who knows? I doubt it though. Yeah. I, I feel weird doing that. You know, it's like, that's where it comes. That's where the investments and kind of the stock feelings come into play. I feel like. Yeah. 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 Where you're just like, I'll play it once and then never again sort of thing. Yeah. And I like I co- completely understand who people uh, people who like approach it that way. It's just not not how I, I approach it. Yeah. 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 That's that's fascinating. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm interested when I ask that question to people, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you, you buy a collector's edition or a box set or whatever, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I get that sort of thing. And then like I look at certain things like right after Daft Punk announced that they were breaking up, all the records were suddenly reselling for like 300, 500 dollars. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? People? That's true. I remember. Actually, I didn't even think of box sets. I do have going back to Tom Waits again, which I just. <laughs> I feel like certain people who know me are just going to roast me forever for talking about Tom Waits on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> um, I have like I, I spent a pretty penny uh, when I was in high school on the box set of his like orphans B-sides uh, collection, which is like, you know, it's like uh, seven LPs. Um, and I will say I checked Discogs kind of recently. I don't play it very often. It goes for like eight to nine hundred on there. I saw. So I know wow. I know if the day comes. When I can't buy uh, pay rent, I've got rent or at least part of it mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting there yeah. on that shelf in the form of a Tom Waits <laughs> record. If I if I if I chose to part with it, so it's like that's my that's my little security blanket record for sure. And I think it that actually the box set cost me about two hundred and fifty bucks. I remember saving up all my wow. Tim Hortons money to buy that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I understand. I think, you know, uh, I was going to ask you a bit about Discogs. I'll move that section up to here. Do you use Discogs to log all of your stuff? Uh, you know what? I haven't. However, I was just talking to my father uh, who recommended I do. Um, and I think um, I think there is some value to like knowing what your collection could be worth. I think it it uh, mm-hmm. keeps you from uh, getting ripped off because unfortunately, in a collector's economy, people will try to rip you off. It's not always the most honest economy. Actually, all my beloved Mars Volta records from my youth, in my early 20s, I um, I, I was short. I was between jobs. Uh, I was short on rent in a, in a, in a particularly um, urgent hydro bill. And so I, I gathered up some records. I was like, I'm going to sell some records. And just like, I only need like 85 bucks. Surely I can get 85 bucks. And I, I brought a stack of records um, to a record shop that maybe I, we don't have to name, but uh, not not a place <laughs> I go to anymore. It's It rhymes with... Uh, but I went, so I went to this record store with this stack of records and they looked through it all. They only took the Mars Volta records. They came back from like checking their computer or whatever. I, again, I was not aware of Discogs at this time. I was not thinking about that. I was just trying to get 80 bucks to pay this hydro bill. And they, they came back and they were like, we can give you $200 for these six records. And I was like, you know, like when you are 22 years old in Toronto, Ontario, $200 might as well be a million dollars. You know, it's like, uh, Mm -hmm. um, so I, um, uh, I, I said yes, and uh, I sold them right away. I came back two days later. Uh, all those records were like behind the register. None of them less than two hundred dollars each. Oh. So it was really like seven hundred fifty bucks 
was actually oh. the value. So uh, I got rinsed pretty hard uh, on that. Oh, and Nick, it, so it does hurt. It does hurt to think about, but it's like, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And that's, that's how that is as well. You know? So that's why I would say go discogs is very useful. I think it's useful to log those things and know what things are worth uh, because maybe a time does come where you need to downsize or, or uh, you know, life happens and you're like, okay, I do have this investment sitting here. Like what, what can be done with it? So I think it's pretty valuable for that, but I, I think the culture of Discogs is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. 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 Speaking of the, the Mars Volta's record, what, was there anything in particular that was super special about them or were they just like first pressings? Were, like what was the deal? From what I, a gold standard laboratories, which was like the record label for the Mars Volta. It was like their kind of that they worked with. It was, I think those original pressings were just in very limited quantities. Like I think okay. you're looking at like, yeah, like pressings of a few thousand, you know, for these like super popular records. And obviously like prog rock is its own collector's economy as well. So I think, um, yeah. And they were all, you know, they, they had posters and they were all like, kind of like different colored vinyls and, uh, still like their live record, uh, <coughs> scab dates, very embarrassing band to talk about the Mars Volta. I love them so much though. Um, like that is a record. You cannot find that record on streaming services. You gotta go, you gotta listen to it in very low resolution on YouTube and it's not very rewarding, you know? Uh, so it's like, uh, <laughs> I do, uh, I, you know, that's the one that almost hurts the most to me at this point. Um, yeah. So I, I think they were just, yeah, low quantities. And, and I think there was like a critical reassessment of that band later. And I think, you know, especially for a certain kind of music fan, it became very sought after. Well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry that you, you lost all those little babies. It, it's, uh, it's part of the, it's the rules of the game, I guess, or something like that. I don't know what yeah. to say, you know, it's like, it's uh yeah, it hurts, yeah. but it's also, it was a big learning experience for me. So I, I cherish it in that respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Glad there was some sort of uh, pot at the end of that rainbow yeah. there. Just that pot had no money. That's in it. right. Yeah. <laughs> or very little money. Comparatively. comparatively yes. Yeah. <laughs> Could have paid so many hydro bills if they gave me the fair deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> could have all gone to hydro one damn yeah. if you're hosting a get-together in non-covid times obviously uh what types of records are you most likely to throw on um i you know i'm really into like uh like a good gospel compilation or something like that um oh. like uh, uh, do you know the label mississippi records out of portland no, there. Well, you're uh, hop, skipping a jump away now. Um, I've always wanted to go to their shop. I think it's would be incredible to go there. I've never been, but um, so they were like a, a reissue label. They they put out basically Portland based music and like uh, at least when I started collecting them, this was when I was like a teenager, like seventeen, eighteen. Uh, they had all these like great again being really into early blues music and stuff like that. They had um they had all these compilations and uh they're just like fascinating records the gospel stuff is like surprisingly upbeat and kind of party friendly um yeah so <laughs> they have this one compilation uh, called life is a problem that is like i love to put on uh at a party especially because like some of the songs are being sung by like eight-year-old kids and it's just like incredible mm. um yeah so that kind of stuff i think like good, a good early stones record is great for a party that's very party friendly music you know um yeah, like it'll start there and then I'll just like eventually like be bringing people over to my shelves and being like, we got you got to check this out and you got to like, you know, 
the flipping becomes pretty intense uh, over time. But uh, yeah. yeah. So that was going to be my follow up. Do you let other people touch your collection in turntable? I do. I'm a person where I'm like, I feel the best about my record collection. If I like wake up and there's like 50 records out of their sleeves after like having a bunch of people over and having a bit of a party. And like, I can't, I know I, that is probably not a popular opinion, but it is just like one of those things where it makes me happy to see that we like listen to and engage with all this music. So there are certain records I'd rather people didn't touch uh, for sure. But in general, Yes, it's fine. You know, I, I try to be uh, try to be generous in that that respect. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. So then if uh, if any of your bandmates from Fast Romantics are over and they're like, hey, can I put some music on? Who would you trust to uh, to put the best record on if you can call any of them out? Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's an interesting. Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, one of the like the thrills of being in Fast Romantics is uh, everybody has like pretty different kind of like like subsects of taste and like i I, th- I think like you can get pretty specific and 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 some people know like you know ke- uh like you know like jeff has like this like great knowledge of this like kind of like goth kind of 80s uh music uh and like um you know curdy grew up singing like Cardi- carter family songs and stuff like that so she she has this like great like um country music knowledge and like uh, folk kind of in the folk tradition and then matt is just like somebody who has like who could talk to you all day about like the ins and outs of like leonard cohen's discography and david bowie's discography and you know um and uh same with like lisa too lisa like she's like a little more tuned into more like modern sounds and stuff like that so like i honestly it would depend it would depend on the kind of event you're trying to have so that's my very democratic mm-hmm. answer to that uh, question uh, <laughs> In case any of them are listening mm-hmm. to this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're not like, hey, we need a new job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's fine. I'll, that I'll okay? accept that answer. Yeah. It's not like I was asking who has the worst taste no, that's in music. True. So I guess I'll take that they all have yeah, good taste yeah. in music. It's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> again, it's a tre- treat of being in the band is that you can kind of, you know, listen to some hilarious new country song that you can just laugh and laugh about and then switch very quickly to like, you know, uh, a George Harrison deep cut or something like that. Um, nice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well then I guess the flip side, if you're in, like if you're touring and you're in a van, uh, who's the person, the first person that's going to grab the aux cord and, uh, and, and make sure that the mood is right. That, for that's definitely me. Like to, yeah, to yeah? a fault. Like, uh, I love to sit in shotgun and like, navigate and just try and get a playlist together you know uh that's gonna please everybody like i i love that challenge i think if you're a a certain kind of music fan that's like something you love to do you want to it's it seems very self-involved and like you're pushing your own taste on it but it's actually i i see it as the reverse where it's like i want to do something that like can kind of play the field here with everybody and like Mm -hmm. you know um and I, I feel like a lot of the, you know, the kind of, if you get, you know, I listen to a lot of power pop and old soul music and stuff like that. And it's, it's fun to draw the lines um, between all those things. And especially when you are touring Canada, especially, and you are doing a 10 hour drive through the prairies, it is nice <laughs> to have something to do like that. You know, it is nice mm-hmm. to keep your mind percolating. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I, I in that regard, I feel like uh, we're very much alike, and I think there is nothing more satisfying than than someone being like, "What was that? I really like that." I know it's like it's a big thing, or even like this isn't necessarily record collecting, but you know, I've I've worked jobs at bars before or whatever, and you like put on a playlist and like when you see somebody shazamming a song or whatever, weirdly rewarding, weirdly (laughs) rewarding uh, thing to happen. Yeah. So I I think, yeah, we're definitely on the same page with that where it's just like, that's, I think a lot of music and the sharing of music is like, you know, you'll, you'll hear things for the first time and they kind of rock your world. And, you know, the impulse to show people those things is you kind of want to witness a world being rocked. You know, I think it's a very, it's a very Mm -hmm. human thing. I'd like to think to, to want to see, you know, yeah. Again, it's not real. It's almost like they. No, you go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's almost like the equivalent of like, if you're watching a movie and you're watching the person's next to you reactions because you've already seen the movie before. You're like, ah, this is funny, right? <laughs> totally. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, not always, it doesn't always turn out that way. But I, again, I think <laughs> the, um, the, you know, the intentionality of it is coming from a, a, a good and pure hearted place. I don't think it's, it's not, mm-hmm. at least in the, my mind, it never, it never feels like as self-involved as it ends up maybe coming out once in a while. Uh, but uh, again, yeah. that's just, just how it goes. But <laughs> Now I want to talk a little bit about gear. You said your first turntable that you got was a Crosley, right. but uh, what does your setup currently look so, like? So again, this kind of, I feel like this is all in tune with my like letting whoever touch my records and things like that. I have a, I have a completely hand-me-down setup. Um, I have an old RCA stereo like from the nineties that my, my dad kind of handed down to me when he upgraded his stereo. I have like a Technics, uh, SL 1400. I want to say just like a direct drive, uh, that was literally like left at a bar I worked at like eight years ago. And a DJ had to bring it in because it was like, you know, pretty low maintenance setup there. Uh, so they brought in another turntable <laughs> to successfully DJ the two turntables. And um, uh, yeah, and it just sat at the bar forever. It never got picked up. Uh, uh, Andrew, my friend Andrew, wherever he is, uh, you know, uh, he basically let me inherit that uh, that record player. And it's, uh, you know, it's been good to me ever since. Uh, yeah, and I have a couple like pretty cheap DJ, like Stanton DJ needles, you know, um, that I use. So it's like, it's, a it, again, it's pretty low maintenance, but it's, it, it really does a trick for me personally. Oh, I have a nice, like uh shout out my friends, born ruffians. I have a nice little slip mat born ruffian slip mat on there as well. So <laughs> that's the, they're awesome. Yeah. Great Toronto yeah, band. Well, uh, that's uh, but that's the setup again. It's uh it's, it's, it's a, it's again, it's kind of in the spirit of just like, letting things come to me. And like, you know, uh, I think, um, I, and I like to think it's like, it's proof that you can get into collecting and it's not just simply for people with money. And there are lots of ways to listen to records. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like I've seen some high fives that are pretty wild. Um, actually, uh, a a person in the, in my hometown of Corona, Ontario, very small kind of one street light town. Um, they, are a collector of lots of things, instruments, music memorabilia, and they own Les Paul's record player. Like 
the Les Paul that the the guitar is named after that guitar player, like his his own personal his own record player. personal record player that they owned, and I got to see that in the flesh one day, uh, which was pretty cool. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So just like, and that's just weird in middle of nowhere, Canada. That record player is just sitting there, and again, that's like, you know, it's not just the records that can have those histories. Like, uh, you know, when you're, it's fun to like fix an old record player and just kind of get something working again and and kind of try to experience the music from, you know, as it was experienced at the time or whatever, you know, um, that's like, that's fun yeah. to me too. However, like, yeah, obviously, you know, when the day comes when I'm feeling liquid and I, I would love to, I would love to upgrade my setup. I know, I know it would feel worthwhile for sure. But. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as someone in the music industry, you were fully aware that there was literally no, upper price limit for for music equipment of any kind like you name a price it, there's something more expensive Absolutely. than that <laughs> so with all that sort of being said do you have sort of an eye on what would be your your dream setup whether a turntable preamp speakers stuff like that yeah like <clears throat> i think um uh i i would love like one of those fancy tube amplifiers that like lights up when you turn it on it's got oh, the yeah. you know the running tubes like that sort of stuff is just very aesthetically pleasing to me. Um, obviously, like, I don't really know, like, too much about brands or anything like that. But, like, I could see myself dropping, you know, five digits on a sound system if I could. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, it's, I, I think <laughs> it, it's rare for most people to even entertain that. Uh, but uh, it's, it's definitely like one of those things where it's like, I'm sure more important things would come up to spend the money on. But uh, yeah, it's like, it's like you say, like people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, record equipment. There's whole lifestyle magazines more about the equipment than what you're playing on them, you know? And uh, I think that's kind of, you know, it's fun to go visit. There's a couple shops here in Toronto where you go like, you go take a look, but uh, you know, at the high fives and you're like Bayblor sound and stuff like that uh bay blur audio sorry in toronto is like one of those places but then there's also ring audio which is like all kind of secondhand vintage electronics uh shop and you can find some cool record players there so i mean it'd be fun to have the stuff that like looks like it's from like 2001 a space odyssey or whatever you know (laughs) you know the orbs you know those things yeah that seventies retro futurism. Yeah, yeah. Something real steampunk looking where you can see see all the gears turning <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Now, if my information is correct, Fast Romantics has released three of their four albums on vinyl, Afterlife Blues, American Love, and Pick It Up. I know you only joined the band in twenty fourteen prior to American Love, but do you own copies of your own records? I do. Something that I would like, you know, place among my cherished records is um you know, everybody in the band usually gets a test pressing when we, uh, mm. when we, when we do the album and, you know, everybody gets to keep a little test pressing and it's just kind of a nice thing to have. And it definitely, I, I think if, again, a certain kind of music fan like myself, if you are also a musician, it's very satisfying to have your music on a piece of vinyl. It feels, um, very concrete, feels like a thing that could be kicking around forever. And that's just kind of a, that's, um, you know, that's a thrilling aspect to making music, you know, is being able to like put something out there that's going to have a life of its own, you know? And like, I think putting your music on a record is just like, you're basically doubling down on that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you have the copies in your hand, you like show them to your dad and be like, yeah, look at me now. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a great way. 
it's a great way to convince skeptics that you're like really in it. You're really doing it, you know, uh, you know, people who like maybe had wished for different things for your life. You're like, but look at this. And they're like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, you'll always tangible evidence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now looking at your, uh, your Instagram bio it shows just how active of a musician you are along with being in fast romantics. You also earn a group. Uh, with the equally busy Dave Monks called Band Called Max. That's right, yeah. uh, You join Sports Fan. You have a duo called Split Hairs, and you seem to play drums in a bunch of other projects. Do you find if you aren't playing music, you might just keel over and die? I definitely, I I have a, um, I as a musician, I'm like, you know, I've, I, I have a pretty limited skill set. So I've, uh, I've found, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. I like being in bands. I like collaborating with songwriters. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so like lucky to work with people like Matt and Dave or like Allie from sports fan. And just like, um, you know, I'm just like, I'm a fan of the music, you know? And that's like, that's really how I find myself, um, uh, in those situations and, and playing in bands again, I'm not the most disciplined player. So like having a band practice to go to five times a week in the olden times, uh, hopefully I'm hoping (laughs) that comes back, but that's a good way for me to stay in shape you know uh mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a, it's like um it's like accidental discipline or something like that <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah i just like that's kind of yeah it's like i think that whole approach just comes from being a fan and just like wanting to be involved and 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 you know happy to navigate all the funny things that come with being in a band you know i'm probably better mm-hmm. at being in a band than i am at playing the drums at this point but that's <laughs> If I could say one, hey, positive, that's a great attribute yeah, to have. Yeah, if I could, like, you know, I'd, I'd like, I would like to think so. I'm sure some people would say otherwise, but uh, that's, you know, yeah, yeah. So then, when you are, you know, when you're working with either Matthew Angus or Dave Monks or anyone else that you work with, what do you feel comes out of you as a drummer? Like when you're working with the different songwriters, are you able to to draw different sorts of styles of playing or is it like, Hey, this is me, Nick, this is what I am. And I'm going to kind of suit your style as best as I can. Yeah. I think like, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of rock and roll music, all different kinds of rock. I feel that's what I love to play. That's where I like to be. I like keeping time mm-hmm. in four, four, most of the time. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say like, um, you know, like Matt fast romantics is kind of, it's really kind of this kitchen sink approach to songwriting where, where you're really trying a lot of things and and you're trying to like put everything in its right place. And you're, 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 you're thinking really hard about every drum fill um, and, and, and beat and like, and the way it's like all interacting with like every element, because that, that band has so many elements, you know, we've got six members, you know, so it's like, you really want, things to like sing and align with each other, you know? So like, that's pretty interesting. Whereas like, I think, um, you know, the band called Max that I do with, uh, Dave Monks there is like, Dave does a lot of that in his other projects. So like that band is just like first thought, best thought, like let's be cave people about this and just like bash through a thing, you know? And there's a lot of that that goes on. So it's, it's more about, uh, it's more about getting the energy forward than the idea, you know? And I think those are like, I think you're always doing both, but I've found in my experience, like some songwriters are really uh, focused on the craft. Some songwriters are really focused on the energy, you know, and like, and some songwriters are focused on both. And like, I I think those are the two kind of primordial elements that come into it. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit as far as uh, not being able to to do band practice in person or, or shows for the last year and a bit now. Uh, how have you found this year for yourself as a musician? Uh, it's been tough. It's been really, um, I think, you know, especially like my relationship to music is 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 playing live and that's that's kind of what that's my first love in playing music so i think like um yeah it's been hard you know and like i for me i know that i know for me the pandemic will not be over in my mind uh for me personally i think obviously like we're in a pretty lucky part of the world right now as far as uh getting vaccinated and uh opportunities to return to normalcy but i think um you know when i'm on stage behind a drum kit playing a show in front of a audience that will be when that will be when it, it feels like we are moving past it for me personally, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I definitely, um, I think if you're a person who likes playing live, it's, it's really difficult. There are obviously ways like the nice thing about living now is just like, there's so much technology and stuff like that. And you can still collaborate and, um, uh, do things like that, you know? Um, and you can keep making music, you know, nothing can stop a person from doing that. But uh, as far as performing it, uh, trying to establish that connection with an audience. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, a Toronto winner is like a long kind of dismal winner on when it's good, you know, and I, I, yeah. I felt, I, I felt myself struggling, um, you know, and especially being as lucky as I am to play with so many different people, you know, it's like, I felt like I lost 10 jobs, <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, you know, uh, so <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back to it. Nice. Now, Pick It Up did come out last year in the middle of the year. Were you guys done the record by the time the pandemic started or did you still have some finishing touches to do on it? Uh, no, we kind of finished. We finished it in the pandemic. And there's some, you know, there's some funny voice memos floating around of me just being like, you know, like trying to like <laughs> trying to like eke out beats and we were we 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 got to experiment with some different like sounds and stuff like that because of that and i think it ultimately it kind of helped the record weirdly um uh kind of like taking it into that kind of bedroom studio space uh and uh, and kind of working working our way up from there so uh I, i'm not saying i'm happy we recorded it we had to do so much of it in the pandemic but i i think it it turned out to be an interesting record and uh, you know, we've been working on things throughout this entire time, you know, that are, are going to be very much informed by our inability to get into a room together uh, always, you know, and it's like, but I think that's like, again, that's like one of the ch- fun things about making records is you kind of want to own the challenge and own the circumstances in which they're being made under, you know? Mm-hmm. So then uh, are you guys hoping that you can you can get back on the road either later this year or early next year? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, I know right now, I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out or when, when the plan is to release it, but I know we technically have dates booked at the end of October. Mm. So just like a kind of just like Ontario and maybe a bit of Quebec right now. Uh, I think we are waiting to see how things unfold before we can make it, uh, any, uh, out anywhere else, or obviously like see how things go with the borders. And there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of paperwork. I can feel it in my bones, uh, coming for <laughs> us, but, um, yeah, so we definitely, we have dates booked. I'm, 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 I got my fingers crossed that we, um, we'll be able to play in front of people and, uh, not just in front of a couple people holding a camera 
and uh, internet yeah, connection, you yeah. know? Uh, so yeah, that's the, that's the plan. Uh, and we, we have awesome. a new record. Um, almost done it's in the mixing process right now so wow um, really oh like another one after that yeah after pick it up yeah yeah Whoa, totally okay. so uh we i don't know again like i can't i couldn't give you a date but uh hopefully we're going to be hearing some of that uh by the fall like uh some of the some of the new stuff we have a plan to you know obviously if they're wow. gigs you it'd be nice to have something out too so yeah we we kind of recorded yeah. them a lot of the songwriting had happened at the same time as pick it up so um so basically your next big tour is going to be touring two albums. That's kind of, that's like something that's a very positive way to think about it. Like it's, it's kind of exciting <laughs> to be like, we're going to get out there and we, we have this like breadth of material that we haven't really played, mm-hmm. played for anybody. So that's like, yeah, it's going to be a challenge, you know, getting into the room, re- relearning those songs, you know, like that's a process you go through. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're going to have, you know, two, f- fat slabs a wax sitting at the merch table you know for people uh plus all the other records so it's like you know that's yeah that that's exciting so i'm i'm hoping uh i'm hoping we can get get all that out to people sooner than later yeah that's awesome i i almost want to like put in a special request of like can you do like a bob dylan style show where you do like uh an early set where you do like all your older material and then you do a late set where you do all your new stuff yeah hey Dakota, you're talking my dream. Like that's a, <laughs> I love the two set marathon. I, I think it's, it's easier said than done, but I, I think uh, Bob Dylan yeah. had a lot of chemical help uh, to do such, to <laughs> do such things at that, at that time. But uh, I mean, all of that stuff is really, really fun, you know? And like, I, I'm yeah. like, I know some people think it's cheesy, but I'm always like a big fan of like a band playing a record front to back at a show. Like, I think that's really fun. I think it's like, Mm-hmm. I think it happens a little more often and it's, you know, some of the shine and specialness of that process is like being a little worn off these days, but I'm still like, you know, I think I'm, I was just like, before we got on here, I was just like looking at tickets to go to see Titus Andronicus play the monitor front to back, which is a record I have not pulled off the shelf in a very long time, but it was something I pulled off the shelf a lot when I was like 20 years old, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of Dave Monks, when I saw uh, one of Colorado's last shows, I think I was like at the second or third last show and Tokyo Police Club was one of the openers. They did an entire album front to back. Yeah. At their show. Yeah. I remember uh, I've seen them do uh, like their first EP front to back lesson in crime. And it's like, oh, it wasn't that it was one of the, it was one of their newest ones. But yeah, I love that first. EP. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like that was very fun. Yeah. That's yeah. actually that's something there's a record I should buy. I should talk to Dave about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lesson in crime. Is that? The yeah. One? Yeah. That would be a fun thing to have. Like that's a, yeah. getting back to the record collections. It's like I, when I'm buying a record, I'm like, you know, because you can listen to a lot of things without having the record, but it's like, what do I really want to just like have spinning in the room with me? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, and that is definitely one of them. Um, yeah. Well then that was a fantastic segue because I did want to get back to it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned an unnamed store that we're not going to talk about, sure. <laughs> but what is your favorite Toronto area record store? I would say my neighborhood store is rotate this, um, uh, which is a store I was terrified of, uh, when I was younger. Uh, and then you get in there and you're like, <laughs> this place isn't so scary. Everybody who works here is really nice. Um, yeah, I think, uh, that's just a great place to go flip through the bins in a, in a decent amount of time. And you can like 15 bucks can get you pretty far at rotate this as far as just finding a record you've always wanted. The prices seem super fair to me. 
Uh, and they carry a lot of new stuff too, and a lot of local stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it just feels like it's just a place I love going to hang out for, you know, like hang out at for an hour. Um, yeah, but there is a, there are lots of, I feel like record stores are like a whole other, there's different categories, you know, you've got your, you've got your like, kind of like record stores. I, I, a record store I wanted to briefly talk about is Brian's record option in Kingston, Ontario, which is like one of those record stores you go into and you're like, am I going to die in here? Like, are all these records going <laughs> to fall on me? You know, and then that's a place where it's like you go through that place and I've had some incredible record buying experiences there. Just found some like lifelong, you know, like holy grail kinds of records there that I've always wanted. And like you leave there and your hands are like brown and black from the dirt and it feels good. You know, you got that weird smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah. So then what makes a good record store stand out from a not so good one? I think. I think again, it comes down to like kind of like a feeling of community and uh, a place where you can kind of just talk about a record or you can like somebody you're talking to would be like, Oh, nice. Like when you pull something out, I think a good record store has to carry local options and has to be working with the musicians in its city. Um, I think that's really important. Um, and I think you need to, you need to have the dollar bins sitting underneath the shelf. Like, you know, I don't mm-hmm. really trust a record store that, where they don't have that going on. It makes me feel like makes me feel like I'm not getting a deal or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think those are really important, you know, and like somebody who like wants to talk about the records you buy, you know, it's like it's really nice to, you know, just be like, oh, like have a conversation about what you're buying. Um, you know, maybe a record store that will let you like point out something that hasn't been priced yet that you kind of spot behind mm-hmm. behind the register. And you're like, hey, how much is that going for? And then you can kind of haggle it out <laughs> for a second. That's those yeah. are all positive, yeah. uh, positive experiences in my mind to have at a record store. Nice. Now in this hopefully soon to be post pandemic world, what sort of role do you think record stores should be playing or could be playing in their communities? Well, again, yeah, I think, I think, um, I think music's becoming like really regional, you know, and I think that's, uh, kind of a, something that's happening through streaming services and like, you know, there are genres and there are micro genres and then there are like where those micro genres start and take place. And like mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff is like really, really interesting and really rewarding to like kind of learn about and find. So I think like a record store should be a place where you feel comfortable, like being a fan of music, you know? And um, it's, I don't think it's a necessarily a, as much about the knowledge anymore as it's, as it's about like, you know, especially where, um, you know, there's so little money to be made in streaming services on the artist side of things. So, you know, when you go and buy like a album, an LP, um, like you are really like putting your like love of an artist or your love of that music, like at the forefront, you know? And I think that's, you know, like other than the community, like a place to sell tickets and hang your poster, which is like, I think like a little... Like, I don't think you can really put a value on how important it is to be able to have a space to go put up a poster. I know it seems kind of like archaic in these like, you know, sort of event times, like where things are, you know, face are things even Facebook events anymore. I see. I'm still a person who learns about shows from posters. So I need that, Uh, you know. um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like, I I just think, um, you know, 
again, it comes back to engaging with like the local community and like being able to bridge connections between like huge popular mainstream music and like the things that are happening in your own town, no matter how tiny, you know, uh, I think, I think there's room for a record store in literally any town, um, no matter the size. And I think it would be a po- it would have a positive impact, uh, on the community. If that's like, well, awesome. Yeah. That's a cool answer. I, I totally agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fast romantics latest release, pick it up is available everywhere, including on vinyl. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. If, if people are interested in hearing more of your work, what should they be checking out? Uh, yeah. I mean, check out any of the fast romantics music. Um, Band called Max, Rogue Tenant, Sports Fan, Christo Graham. Uh, these are all uh, artists I feel very lucky to play with. I also write theme songs for a podcast called 155 uh, that's about pop punk songs. So if you're into embarrassing punk music, too, that's a uh, you can hear some of my my stuff on there, too. Like that's kind of something I've been doing every week in the pandemic with my friend uh, Sam. Um that th- those are the things and please for fast romantics like if you're in ontario or quebec at the end of october please come check us out there will be dates announced and you can find them on the internet no problem uh and i would love to like meet people and talk about records with them at those shows you know yeah, yeah. well there there you go people i i've been to a fast romantic show before is a lot of fun so yeah definitely uh take your word for Thanks, it and, and people should be checking it out <laughs> yeah. Nick, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This wraps up this episode of Crate Digging. Make sure to visit thesoundtrack.ca for more great content. Let me know what you're currently spinning. Make sure you're subscribed to the show to listen right when the needle drops. Crate Digging is produced by Gemma Mastriani and Dakota Arsenault. It's a soundtrack production. Music is by Jared Burke and graphic design by Stephanie Pryor. Thanks for checking us out. <laughs>